the Lord of Love podcast, where we believe that self-healing is a spiritual journey and your success on that path is inevitable. I'm an expert self-healing guide, a mentor for women who are on their life transformation journeys. I'm also a success coach and a deep advocate of plant medicine, which I talk about a lot on the show. But the Lauren of Love podcast isn't about me. It's about helping you move one step closer to your dream life and creating the reality you deserve. Whether you are healing chronic illness, childhood trauma, financial blocks, or you just want to love yourself more in this lifetime, you're in the right place. Join me every week as we talk about spiritual principles, conscious life creation, and success strategies to expand your mind, heal your heart, and bring you back home to yourself. Okay, here we go. Hello, my gorgeous family. Welcome back to the Lauren of Love podcast. Oh, man. Wow. So much has been happening in my life. Has so much been happening in your life? I feel like we're just moving really quickly these days. It's been almost kind of surreal and hard to keep up. I, I was realizing, wow, like it's almost the end of February already. Well, it is. It is the end of February. Two months underneath my belt for 2023. I've been doing the uh, New Year, New You workbook, which if you don't have, I highly suggest. It's like such a game changer for manifestation. I print out the sheets for each month, every month, and I'm really excited to see what has manifested for February. I have my each list. I color in, you know, like all the doodles around it, and I put it up on my wall in my bathroom. And so um, I've been, was looking at it yesterday when I was brushing my teeth and I'm like, yeah, I think a lot of these things manifested. This is really exciting. So if you want a copy of your March sheet, it's free, laurenoflove.com slash new year. And that is the free workbook. And you can print out your manifestation lists and it's super fun. It's like a really cool way to keep track of your year. I personally, I'm like thinking about March and like what I'm calling in and wanting to manifest. And right now in this present moment in time, I feel so exhausted that thinking about what I want to call in for March feels very, uh, I don't know if arbitrary is the word, but it it just feels like not right now. Like I can't really think about these things right now. So if you're in that position as well, you are not alone. I just finished a really beautiful ceremony this weekend, and I think that's why I'm so tired. If you've been watching my Instagram posts, um, this weekend I had the opportunity to drive to New York to facilitate ceremony for uh, five incredible humans. It was it was magical. It was so beautiful, and uh, yeah, just just really so blessed to be doing this work of ceremony and facilitation and you know, it's something that's been coming up for me a lot recently of this narrative we're going to be talking about today, cultural appropriation. And I'm really honored to have this conversation because I I know how important this conversation is to have. And I also know that it's a conversation I can't have by myself. I am a white woman working in the world of indigenous medicine And I'm also a white woman running the Lord of Love brand and a coaching community and personal development and self-healing. And a while back, I started to really reflect on the concept of this that, you know, as a white woman, how can I hold space and support a woman of color more deeply? And what has to change about my offerings, my mission, my impact so that I can create more of a safe container for, uh, BIPOC and and the global community because the the truth is that um, we we call these cultures right uh, the the minority but they're actually now the majority and so decolonizing is really about inclusivity and allowing people of all cultures uh, cultures and, and 
communities and traditions and tribes to feel welcome and loved and seen and understood. And when it comes to self-healing, BIPOC really holds deep, deep struggles that I know absolutely nothing about as a white woman. Even if I try to understand, I still can't. So in this awareness and uh, wanting to to create more healing for others, I started to get really curious. And if you're like me over the last couple of years, I've started to see these really incredible thought leaders in the online space who are speaking about decolonization of the coaching industry and you know, making spaces less white and more inclusive and what has to change. And so I found Emily Brandt and was really in awe of her content. And I knew I wanted to bring her on the show to have this conversation. She and I today on the Lauren of Love podcast are talking about the issues that she witnesses and faces and has personally experienced as somebody who is not white in the coaching world and what she has gone through, uh, what she's observed, and her mission, if you don't know who Emily Brandt is, I highly suggest you follow her. She is an incredible human being who is working in this beautiful space of decolonization and having and holding deep conversations on her platforms and in her work to kind of lift the veil on these issues that have not really been addressed up until these last couple of years where we're, we're holding space for deeper conversation. She is the creator of an incredible masterclass that I took called The Roundtable. I highly suggest you guys to take, uh, take a minute to look at it and check it out. And uh, she's, a, she's a thought leader, a speaker. She's really dedicated to having these deep conversations. So I had to bring her on. And I am also on her podcast this week talking about what it's like as a white woman working in this world of indigenous medicine. So I highly suggest that you check out both episodes. The episode for her podcast will put in the show notes of this episode here so you can just swipe up. And if you enjoy this conversation, if you resonate with it, please share it on Instagram. Tag us both. Our handles, of course, mine is Lauren of Love. Emily's is listed in the show notes of this episode. And we just love seeing you guys share that this content is speaking to you. So please tag us, let us know, and uh, be sure to check her out. I have a lot of her content listed below. She's an incredible human doing deep, deep work. So yeah, without further ado, let's let's just dive in. Okay, everybody, we're about to dive into a really juicy conversation today. I'm so excited to have Emily Brandt on the podcast. Um, usually I do an introduction, but I think it would be really beautiful if I could hold space for you to introduce yourself on the show today. Oh, sure. Thank you so much for having me and hello everyone. Um, so yeah, my name's Emily, Emily Ann Brandt. I am a First Nations Mohawk um, and or Indigenous author, mentor, speaker, and I work at the intersection of decolonization and personal development. And so I'm really on a mission to decolonize personal development, self-growth, um, manifestation, this whole world. And um, yeah, that's a little bit what about that's a little bit about what I do. I'm mixed settler ancestry on my mom's side and a little bit Algonquin ancestry as well. And then Mohawk on my dad's side and um, was you know born and raised in Tyendinaga Mohawk territory, which is a First Nations reserve in southern Ontario but currently um, have the honor and privilege of living and working in Tuckeronto, otherwise known as Toronto. And um, so super excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm really honored to have this conversation. And I think it's it's such an important conversation. And I don't think these conversations are happening enough. Um, mm-hmm. So I just feel uh, really privileged to be able to sit down with you and to open up this dialogue today. I know one thing that you really talk about and on this path of servicing and educating now today um, is your own personal journey of, of development and uh, inner work and how um, that path really wasn't serving you as a consumer and as a customer um, Mm -hmm. because of your background. So can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, definitely. So kind of how I got into this, the work that I'm doing now, which is working both directly with um, other Indigenous people and people in the global majority, formerly referred to as BIPOC, right? Black Indigenous people of color. 
we actually make up the global majority because more than 80% of the population, the global population is black, brown, Asian, indigenous, and so-called minorities were actually the global majority. So I work directly with the global majority to kind of provide coaching that really integrates decolonization and healing from colonization and the pain of that and the pain of racism and having to assimilate and all of the wounding that comes with that not to mention the ancestral trauma and the intergenerational trauma that we we also carry in our bones and in our DNA. So I'm working directly with global majority folks and then also working with um, white coaches and leaders who want to make their spaces more supportive for us and want to decolonize their practice. And so how I got into doing that, because that's a really specific thing to do, it's like quite niche, um, is I've been in the coaching world for three plus years. I've been into personal development for I want like I want to say my whole life basically but especially since I was uh, maybe like 11 or 12 years old I started watching Oprah with my mom and we were super into like reading The Secret and um and watching The Secret and all of that learning about law of attraction learning from people like Louise Hay and Gabby Bernstein and Marianne Williamson and Tony Robbins but do you notice all of these people are white people and so I, I, you know, I grew up loving the, loving the content, loving the concepts of what's being shared, um, but not actually making the connection that, hey, most of that wisdom being shared, I actually learned as a child growing up on the First Nations Reserve, because a lot of it comes from Indigenous wisdom, like the importance of gratitude and having a positive mind and all of this. But none of that was being acknowledged. And so I was just gobbling it up like everyone else and purchasing it from all these white mentors and leaders. And then, as I said, over the last three years, I've been actively um, working as a coach. And so I've also been consuming coaching like courses and certifications and uh, masterminds, you name it, I've invested in it. And, um, you know, it, it, I grew a lot. I learned a lot. It takes you so far, but there was always something kind of missing for me where I would just see my white counterparts like if if the mentor said you know you're worth it own your worth go for it raise your rates charge what you want and you I would see a lot of these white women able to like take that and run with it and like just explode and I'm like why is that same uh growth not happening for me why is it not happening at the same speed for me something still feels so sticky even though I've been studying this stuff since I was literally a kid and um, it was actually in a psychic reading an Akashic Records reading where um, spirit said to me the missing thing is like there's still some work to do around your self-worth and I was like what like me no way I know that I'm worthy I've been working on myself or the course I'm worthy I'm just not like receiving the things like something's not clicking and um spirit said no it's related to healing um it's your indigenous ancestry it's related to that whole side of you and I thought wait that's uh, but I'm only half indigenous like I wasn't even considering myself indigenous enough to do that type of ancestral healing and I'm like other people have it worse than me other people have experienced worse racism than me it can't be that And spirit was like, well, that's part of it is not feeling indigenous enough because that's still, you know, I am not blank enough, whether it's indigenous enough, black enough, Asian enough, Canadian enough, American enough, which is what I see a lot with my clients that I now attract. um, That's still a form of I'm not enough, of course. And so there was healing to be done around that. And then there was a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of ancestral healing and intergenerational healing to be done around my indigenous um, ancestry. And so once I opened that can of worms, like there was a lot there and I went on a full year and a little bit and I'm still on the journey, of course, but a really deeply healing through those wounds, through the trauma of being, you know, stripped and, and torn away from our language, from our culture, from our practices, from who we are, from having pride in who we are. Um, and even have sat in meditations with my ancestors who, um, didn't, you know, they were killed as children. They didn't get to live out their full life. And so when I sit with them, it's very painful, but it's also, uh, very inspiring. It adds that extra fire to what I'm doing because their message for me is like, you have to live the life that we didn't get to. You get, you, you know, have to 
be successful and experience all the joy and all the abundance and all the things for us because our lives were cut short. And so it's been obviously a very emotional journey, but once I brought that element into my personal development, everything changed. And once I realized how much their work there was to do around my identity, I brought it to some of the white space, white dominated spaces I was in. And I suddenly those spaces fell flat, like coaches didn't know how to handle it, how to hold space for those conversations, how to how to respond. And so I felt like here I was bringing this very vulnerable thing to this group I was in at the time. And and then suddenly I didn't feel safe because the mentor and the peers just kind of like shut down and no one knew how to have these conversations. So um, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm so thankful for you for being willing to be one of the people to say, yeah, we need space for these conversations. Yeah. There's so much to think and thank you for sharing, by the way, I'm being so open. Um, there's so much to what you've just delivered here that I want to unpack, you know, talking about mm-hmm. how, um, most of the coaching industry is white women, right? Um, not only run by white women, but the spaces and the groups and the containers are full of white people, right? Um, I want to speak to that. And I want to also talk about some of the things we can do as leaders and as mentors to just do better. But before we do that, I think what's really important is that we have a conversation that uh, illuminates and brings awareness to what actually it is that Indigenous people are carrying, right? And, And to actually open up that conversation because when I was young and when I was in school, I went to Catholic school. Um, I was not educated about the suffering of the indigenous or the pains that they went through. And as I've gotten older and I've been, you know, studying shamanism and studying spirituality, and I have a teacher who is Lakota who passes down the traditions of Chief Crow Dog. I have another teacher who studies um, in uh, the Peruvian tradition of Shipibo. And so you know, I'm just growing and educating myself and I'm seeing there's so much that I did not know. And so let's maybe talk about that. Like people who are in, who are carrying this history of indigenous tribe, right. Who grew up on reservations where there's hardly any food of health, right. There's really little low quality water, right. Uh, The, the schools that kids were put into where their, their hair had to be cut and they couldn't practice their their belief systems, like, I know there's so much to talk about, but, but what is it that you wish people knew about the suffering of the indigenous that has not been spoken to enough? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a big question because there is, there is so much here. I mean, literally like any colonized country, like, like Canada, like the U S it was built on, um, the oppression and the land theft of the indigenous people who were here first, who did literally no harm to the colonizers who came, um, you know, to our land and decided that because there's different races of people or different looking people um, with different ethnicity, that therefore one race must be superior and it must be them, it must be the white people. And they use that um, as a means to justify genocide, abuse, like every type of abuse, verbal, um, sexual, emotional, physical abuse, um, and actual genocide and uh, the theft of our land so that they could take control and power and money, right, and profit off the land and, and their own for their own personal benefit and gain. And so what this means, and I think people think like, yeah, but that was a long time ago, that was really long time ago. And it really was not. But I also, even growing up on a First Nations reserve, um, even in my history classes, we kind of got the watered down version of the truth. We we kind of, we sort of learned about residential schools, which happened um, in Canada and in the US. And in Canada, the last one closed in 1996. So like, that's what I mean. This is really recent. In 1996, I was five. Um and I was living on a reserve. So had I been on the wrong reserve at the wrong time, I could have been a residential school survivor and I'm only 31 years old. So that's how recent it is. Do you want to explain what residential schools are for people who don't know? Yes, yes. So that was the next thing to unpack. Um, So residential schools are these schools that were created by the church, by mostly the Catholic um, and, and some Christian 
churches and the government to assimilate the indigenous people who they used to call Indians. Um, we don't use that word anymore, but like kill it was it's created to essentially kill the Indian in the child and force quote unquote Indians to either assimilate if they weren't, you know, already killed off from diseases and, and being stolen and, you know, impoverished, all of that, um, to either kill them off or force them to assimilate because, you know, the thought was we have to get rid of the Indian problem. And so children were taken, either tricked, their parents were tricked and told, your child is going to come with us. They're going to learn English. They're going to learn how to function in the new society. It's going to be so great. Um, and some parents um, were hesitant to trust these people who came in and like stole everything and interrupted their whole way of living. But some people got tricked into saying like, okay, yeah, I do want a better future for my child. And most people just didn't get a choice. So children were literally ripped off the lawns and off the laps of parents um, by the, you know, Indian agents, which by the way, if you're in Canada, that's what the RRCMP, like our police force, our Mounties that you always see people glorifying, they were created to quote unquote control the Indians. And they were some of the people that would come in and enforce taking these children off to the schools. And so at the schools, Keep in mind, these children don't know how to speak English. They only know their, you know, their native language, their indigenous language. And at these schools, they are immediately given a number instead of a name. Um, all of their hair is shaved off. Usually um, they are forced to sleep in like horrible, unclean, unsafe environment. It's a boarding school. So they have to stay there. No contact with their families, no letters to home. Um, if they speak in their own language, they are beaten and punished and um and they're forced to attend like you know mass the church services all of that and learn the christian values and learn what they thought was a superior education and so um i think it's something like 90 percent or more of survivors who did make it home from the schools re do report um sexual abuse or you know rape or other types of abuse so we know that all, almost all, if not all, were abused at these schools if they made it home. And then last, uh, no, two summers ago here in Canada, one of the former, the sites of a former residential school, remembering that the last one only closed in 96, um, one of the sites was um, <clears throat> investigated and 215 children's bodies were found, like the remains of children's bodies were found at the site of the school just buried unmarked graves. So this tells us that not only did so many people, you know, commit suicide and run away and die of malnutrition and tuberculosis, but also like when you have that many children just buried underground with no marked grave, like that's just clear genocide, right? And so these are things, these are issues that Indigenous people have known and have been talking about for years, but it wasn't in Canada, it wasn't until um, that kind of burial site was found that people, this conversation opened up more and people in Canada are just learning about residential schools for the first time, because like you, they weren't really taught the real history in school. Um, and so I remember talking about this with some friends in the U S and they were like, Oh, that's horrible. Like, thank God we didn't have that here. And I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> you did too. Um, so the, these residential schools were in all through the U S as well. Um, and that's why, so many of us don't um, like as well as the schools, there was strict in Canada, it was called the Indian Act. There were strict laws put in place that actually banned Indigenous people from being in ceremony, from practice, from singing our songs, from um, practicing our, our smudging or our smoke medicine and being together in community, which is all about just gratitude for the land, gratitude for one another, gratitude for creator. Um, giving back to land, taking care of the land, taking care of each other. And yet it was deemed like evil and wrong and Satan, you know, worshiping, devil worshiping and horrible and outlawed and banned. And so, so many of us have been so painfully disconnected from, um, from our language, from our culture. And so many of us feel this identity conflict because we were forced to assimilate and we want to have pride in who we are. But how can you when you live in a society that forces you to be something you're not? Yeah. This is, it's a lot, you know, um, this whole conversation too. It's like, this is just one piece of like yeah. a whole bigger container of dialogue, right? Um, yeah. th this component of like being stripped of cultural practices, like, did you grow up 
in the environment you grew up in was ceremony work a part of your lifestyle as a family unit did you practice in your prayers and rituals or did your your parents kind of feel or your father I think right did you pull away from those traditions yeah so I had a little bit of the culture and and the ceremony at the school um fortunately like I got to hear some of the legends and um we did some of the festivals like midwinter festival and strawberry festival and learned our creation story, learned, we got to take Mohawk language class instead of French class, which was beautiful. Um, But no, my dad very much does not embrace the culture, does not seem interested in embracing the culture. And um, I have to respect that because he has his own trauma and his own reasons for not being able to go there and same for his parents. So like my grandparents don't, um, don't speak the language, they don't share or pass down any of the um, kind of rituals or ceremony or any of that and I know it's because of you know the Indian Act and it being literally outlawed and and them not being not only not being safe to practice those um, traditional protocols but also them not being safe to be openly Indigenous so like I can't share it here publicly but um, like in my family there's really traumatic stories of um, people's safety literally not being people not being safe because they're, you know, openly indigenous or justice and the legal system not supporting our family members when horrible things happened um, just because we're indigenous. So in my dad's eyes, I think he sees me and I'm like what I call white passing. Like I present to the world as white. I could just completely shut down that part of me if I wanted to and act white. And I think in his mind, he's like, why wouldn't like why wouldn't you do that? That's a way safer um, life. And he kind of gets scared for me when I speak out about Indigenous issues. And we see some of the ignorant comments and even threats and things that I get just on my social media. And my dad gets very worried for me because yeah. um, he's very much like shut that down. For you personally, I know my my thing. I really love something that you also speak to is the fact that like you don't speak for every Indigenous person. You're speaking for yourself and your experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if I could just ask, like, who in your life and in your perspective, how do you feel when you see people who are not of these traditions using these traditions? What comes up for you and, and how do you navigate that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like everyone, you know, we're individuals, we're humans, so everyone's going to have their own opinion on this, of course. Um, I think it depends for me. There is always an initial um, kind of a sting that I feel. But then my next question is, are you also willing? And I think it's so beautifully said in my friend and mentor, Asha Frost, um, her letter that she wrote, it's a blog post. It's called Dear White Woman Who Wants to Be Like Me, because we see this a lot in this industry. Is It's it's so good. Um, Maybe we can link it in the notes. Um, I can't read it without crying and shaking, but it's just the way she's put it into words is perfect. So she's, she says, you know, I get it. It's, it's very appealing. You see the smudging bowls and you see um, the feathers and the, um, you know, the, the sage and the smoke medicine, and it all looks so beautiful and so exotic. And you want to have deeper healing too, and connection to your ancestors too. Um, But are you willing to take on the rest of it? And so are you also willing, if you're going to embrace, um, you know, our culture and our ways of being, are you also willing to lean in and learn more about our issues and learn more about our trauma? And what are you doing to help us with that, to help us decolonize, to help us, um, you know, heal, to give back to the communities that you're learning from? Are you willing to take on the rest of it? And then she goes into how, you know, would because people have said to her, like, I wish I was native. I wish I was indigenous. I wish I was you. And she's like, do you really know what you're asking for? Because do you want to shake? Do you want to have your insides just shaking and boiling every time you see another harmful, violent comment on online in the comment section or in your inbox? Do you want to question if you and your kids are actually safe when you're sick and you have to go to the hospital and they look at your ID and they find out you're indigenous and then they're just accusing you of being an alcoholic or accusing you of just being there for drugs. Um, And so she goes into all of that. And I just think it's so beautifully said. And I'm I'm of the same opinion, like, yes, embracing it, it does keep and I've heard another elder um, 
say like he likes even when people make which I don't think I totally agree with this but he was like even if people make like fake like knockoff dream catchers and like keychains and stuff and they're not indigenous made he's like at least they're they want to like, keep our culture alive and that was very very different perspective most people don't have that you know of course if you're gonna buy like crafts and things make sure they're indigenous owned and made and support the artists so I thought his take was really radical, but to a degree, I agree, like, it does help keep our culture alive, but also like, what are you doing to to give back and lean in? And are you willing to also take on our pain and work through that with us? Because we have a lot to heal through if we're going to have reconciliation. And if we're going to have reconciliation, we first have to have truth, which means like conversations like this. Yeah, I, I think also just, you know, to share my perspective on this as well as a white woman, I think what I see a lot of is people who are taking on these tools, these shamanic tools with no real reverence for the actual lineage and rooted source of the path, mm-hmm. right? And so um, people buy feathers or fans and sage, you know, and you don't know what you're getting or where it comes from and you don't know how to use it right? It's like these shamanic technologies are powerful, right? It's part, I think it's part of the reason why white people were so scared of them, right? Because they're totally so powerful. So, you know, my perspective also to take on, like, as your mentor says, I think also really applies to, like, are you willing to seek out teachers from these lineages directly and to serve them and to give back to them and to learn from them because it's not enough to just make a dream catcher or find a feather or buy sage on the internet like to really actually understand these tools I think is really really important as well totally yeah Yeah. absolutely um yeah so um so let's talk about the speaking of using these tools, like every white woman on the internet. right? Like, <laughs> it's funny because like, I, I get it. I'm a white woman. So like, I, you know, and I work with so many different medicines, but I just, I try my best to like, you know, to learn and to study and I ask permission. And um, it's really confusing because a lot of people, I'm sure we'll talk about this on your show as well a lot of people are like, oh, well, permission comes from within. And I'm like, yes, but like, you know, at the same time, it doesn't. Um, So I I think, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many people um, who are leading spiritual containers. Okay. And like, so let's talk about this, these principles of like, like shamanism at its core is like gratitude and blessing in the earth. Right. Like, that's how I see it. Like, that's the core of it. And, and that's also, (laughs) what everybody is doing on social media now, right? Like just promoting these tools with no real reverence or respect for history. So um, Mm -hmm. white containers run by white women with mostly white people as students, what can we do to decolonize these spaces as leaders? (laughs) Loaded question. question. (laughs) Very very loaded question. Um, I'll cover as much as I can. As you know, I have a whole masterclass on this. Um, It's called the round table. It's amazing, Thank by the way, you. I went through it. Yeah, tell everybody the name of it again. The Round Table. And it's a, yeah, it's, I think it's close to two hours right now, masterclass. It's actually going to be run live again in March um, 2023. And it'll be a two-day event. And uh, Lauren, you'll get access to that. Anyone who's previously purchased it will always get access to the latest ones. But anyway, um, so there's like, there's a lot. I couldn't even cover it in the, in the two hours, which is why I'm also rolling out a course this spring, mm-hmm. um, a six week course on decolonizing your coaching business. But the main thing is, so I learned from, um, a Squamish matriarch, matriarch, uh, Tatalia Michelle Nahani is her name, Nahani creative on Instagram. Um, that decolonization is three things. It's ideas we unlearn, uh, relearn and learn. It's words we can speak and it's actions we can take. And so I loved that framework. And for my coaches, I always break it down into just mindset, words, actions. And so it starts with mindset. It starts with unlearning. Like you may not, you might not even realize um, how many things you're doing that are unintentionally creating harm. Because I don't think anyone is purposely, you know, out, especially as coaches and healers and light workers. like we, I know we're here in the business of improving lives. We're not purposely out there to create harm. 
Um, but you might not have even known why some of the things you're doing and saying might be hurtful for an Indigenous client or um, turning away Black and Brown clients because they're just, they're they're not able to see how they would be safe and supported in your space. And you may not have the, the learnings yet to understand why and what needs to change and why is appropriation so hurtful and what's the big deal if you you know learn yoga or learn about the chakras um not chakras chakras from like a white woman for example instead of from an actual south asian person that you could be supporting things like this so the first thing is mindset and just really getting you know context and learning a little more about the land you're on and the history of it and the history of white people's relationships with non-white folks. And so that is something that I cover, of course, in the roundtable and we'll go deeper in in the course, but that's mindset. And then the second thing is the words you speak. These matter. Um, the words you speak make a huge difference as, or, or more often the words you don't speak make the biggest difference um, in terms of whether or not I would feel safe coming into your program, having now learned what I've learned and seen what I've seen after working with so many, mostly white women. Um, So one thing for an example is like, are you acknowledging your privilege? Are you acknowledging that you hold privilege? Are you acknowledging that you're a white woman? Or do you think like white people are just the default and you don't have to racialize yourself? Um, And something that my friend, Syra Rao, she has a book called White Women. It's incredible. (laughs) Something she always says is like, if we can just create one change in my lifetime, I want white people to start racializing themselves and referring to themselves as white people. Cause even that is like, like clutch my pearls. Like, what do you mean I'm a white woman? But it's like, but that's what you are. The rest of us have to have a race, you know, or be racialized. Then why don't white people? Cause white is not just the default. Right. So things like that, acknowledging your privilege, acknowledging the land you're on, um, speaking to us in empowering ways. And so that's another thing we go through in my programs, how to call us in from a really compassionate, but still empowering way, not a like belittling white saviorism kind of way. Um, And then action is the third one. So action is the most important because you're all of your learning that you're doing and all of the words you're speaking, they don't mean anything if they're not backed with action. So um, once you kind of like determine your values as a person and as a business, what action are you taking that actually backs that up? Like, are you committed to hiring a certain percentage of global majority um, employees or contractors or mentors? Are you committed to learning from us, um, supporting our work, right? Paying people of the global majority and paying us well. Um, and yeah, taking actions that back up what you say your your values are that's, that's huge. So those are kind of the three main things, main steps you can take. Yeah. When you were talking about um, language and like what is said, I was thinking about um, one of the examples you gave in the masterclass about how um, we're taught just to like think positive or power through Mm, Yeah, through um, what are, can, can we speak to that? Like, what are some of the languages that you've heard where you're like, wow, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for reminding me to speak to that. Um, because that is a big one too, is the gaslighting and the by the spiritual bypassing that happens, which is something that I, before I had that whole awakening and realizing how much I need to, to heal ancestrally and racially, um, I was also, like regurgitating those same messages. And what I mean by those messages is um, phrases like, you know, we all have the same infinite potential. Like, yeah, we're all from different backgrounds. We all have like ancestral trauma and different things. But at the end of the day, we all have personal power. And I have literally heard one of the top, like one of the biggest mentors in this industry who I know a lot of other coaches follow, a lot of other coaches learn from, they emulate her. And um, I saw a video where she said that she's like, we all have different backgrounds and like ancestral trauma, but we all have personal power. So like no excuses, basically. And the moment she said that, I was like, oh, no, I was loving this program. I was loving this video until you just said that. And now I have to like unsubscribe, unfollow, walk away because I know this is not going to be a space then that supports me in healing through the very real things I need to heal through. Like, Yes, we do have limitless potential. Yes, we are all, I I believe 
to the core of my being that we are all one, we are all connected. Um, and some people have different opinions about like the life path that we chose, because another thing that a lot of especially white spiritual teachers say is that we all chose our life path before we came here, like our souls chose this experience. And I've heard black people say, like, you would not be saying that if you've experienced what I've experienced as a black person in America. So that's completely valid. And I want to honor that. I actually do have always believed that we do pick our our path and creator calls us close to um, his, her, their side before we come here. And we choose the the challenges and the path we're going to take. And there's gifts that come out of those challenges. Um, But if you're a white woman and you've never had to experience oppression and had to experience those types of traumas, I don't think you should be sitting up on your pedestal saying like, you know, it doesn't matter. Ultimately it doesn't matter. And so we're just going to bypass it because it's not something I personally have experienced or know how to hold space for. Um, And so it's comments like that, that are really harmful, hurtful, don't support us um, because problems don't go away by just acting like they're not there they happen, as you know, because I know you do this deep healing work, this shadow work, all of it. They happen by looking at them, bringing them to the light, confronting them. And that's also how we create the new earth, how we create real reconciliation. Like I said, truth comes first. And so everyone talking about like new earth, new earth, all these spiritual teachers, are you actually willing to get on the ground with us and dismantle the old so we can create the new earth and we can live in harmony? Mm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I feel like um, the the element of of bypassing so much of the oppression and the pain, um, it is palpable in the online community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like dense that that gaslighting energy, and I feel like you know one of the things that I've really learned on my path of healing is that you have to face and feel and bear witness to all of these parts of you and really see the hard, uncomfortable stuff just as an individual healing. And so Mm -hmm. what I kind of feel is that, um, you know, you kind of touched on this in the beginning of the episode that part of the reason I think white women are so quick to be like dismissive of when a student brings these things up is because there is no ability to relate. It's almost like so intense and so immense and so big that not only have we been conditioned to completely ignore it, but we also don't have the the energetic uh, ad- advancements within ourselves to be like, okay, I'm going to hold this space. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, the education, the, the real, the learn, unlearn and relearn, right. What, what you had said before, yeah. like, Oh my gosh, that's so important. I remember, so full transparency, I had a podcast interview back. I I should find it and like link it in the show notes. Maybe I'll do that. Where um, when BIPOC was really becoming strongly identified in the internet community, I brought on three different black women into my, in my space. And we had this conversation about what is it that women of color face and like, what, what are the truths? And, and I remember sharing there in that conversation that, when I first uh, was faced with these these feelings, right? It's almost like you have to acknowledge the parts of you that ignored this, right? And and bear witness to that within yourself, right? And be able to sit with that embarrassment or that you know that shame or whatever it is, and totally, and and to not pass that on to or have your black friend hold space for that, or have your indigenous friend hold space for it. But it's like your responsibility to hold that energy within yourself. Um, So that relearning and learning phase, you know, I think that can be quite uncomfortable for people. And I would just like to say that, like, if that is something that you move through as a white person listening to this conversation, to, to hold that and, and feel that is part of your healing process. And it's part of what's going to allow you to be able to be an advocate um, moving through those things. So not to dismiss that within yourself, I think is just what I want to say. I don't know. Oh, totally. And that's something that like a lot of, um, especially black and brown um, DEI teachers, right? Anti-racism teachers, they will very much be upfront that they're not there to kind of hold space for the white tears and the shame and the guilt. And like that shouldn't be put on them. And that's completely 
completely valid and fair. Um, but something that I think makes my specific blend of medicine um, a little bit unique is that I do actually, I, I hold space for processing that shame, processing that guilt, processing that embarrassment, because I just feel like we can't move forward until those things are addressed. And yes, you, it is your responsibility. And hopefully, you know, white folks are going to be doing this work on their own. But that's something like when you come into my world, um, in my more intimate containers, we do, we hold space for your emotions as the white person first. And we get that like kind of cleared because if you're staying there stuck in fear and shame and being so scared to say the wrong thing and guilt, and you're, you're just not going to take action. You're not going to move forward. So that is something we address. Um, and I wanted to touch on what else did you say? It was really good. Oh, about not, not, not knowing what to say when, um, racial pain is brought up, like I brought it up in my group and it was kind of met with like a freeze response almost. Um, And like a lot of the reason is because they just can't relate. But I wanted to mention that you shouldn't try to relate (laughs) because this is another problem. It's like, oh, I get it. I'm oppressed too as a woman. Please don't ever say that. Please don't (laughs) ever say that. (laughs) Just wanted to mention that. But you can say like, I, I, don't know and I will never understand what's that what that's like because I don't have the lived experience but I want to hold space for you as much as you're comfortable sharing with me also acknowledging I'm a white woman and you may not be comfortable we may have to build trust like that's all you can say that's all it takes um I have a white therapist and she does that with me and it's amazing yeah you you had spoken your master class too that I was like I remember listening to it and I was like whoa this is an epic reflection my mind was <laughs> I was like holy shit I never thought of this how like you know you have within you as an individual this unique blend because you're half the colonizer and half the colonizer yeah. right and so that's like so fucking trippy I'm like holy shit I thought my ancestral healing was challenging but to be able to carry and and to be blessed I want to say blessed in this lifetime with that duality I feel like that is such a beautiful gift because it allows you the space to see this, these really unique issues on both sides, um, yeah. which I'm sure was very challenging growing up as well. But um, now it's, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah it's been a, like a blessing and a curse. Like you said, it's, it's that mixed ancestry that a lot of people now come to me and work with me because they also have mixed ancestry. You literally have an internal battle of your two bloodlines. Because like you said, I have the oppressors and the oppressed in my bloodlines. Um, and that for a long time, like I really, really um, affected me negatively and like not feeling enough for this space, but not feeling enough for that space. And also hating my own ancestors for what they did to my other own ancestors. Um, but like, as I said, I discovered recently that that's actually, you know, that's what makes my medicine so special is that I can walk both sides. I can see both sides. I do a lot of internal work with my ancestors to bring them together in spirit so that I can create that harmony on the outside world as well. So yeah, there's a gift in there for sure. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I want to thank you for doing your work. And I think just in closing, are there, um, are there thoughts and offerings? Maybe we can hold space for you to speak, you know, something that you would love every uh, white woman to know and something you you want to speak to every woman of color listening to this episode as well Mm. thank you for that and thank you for yeah holding space for all of this this was such an important conversation and I'm so glad it's happening um what I want every white female coach who's listening leader healer mentor entrepreneur I want you to know that we want your programs to work for us we want to be um, in your communities. Um, we want to trust you. We want to yeah, grow with you. Uh, and <laughs> for many reasons, um, there's, there's things you need to do. There's action that needs to be taken. There's things that need to be unlearned and relearned and words that need to be spoken consistently over time in order to build that trust and to really break those walls down. And if you do those things, you will find that your um, your programs, your containers are suddenly becoming more diverse. And when we're more diverse, it's, it's so beautiful because we have so many different perspectives and different medicines and different gifts that we all can come in and bring to the table. Um, so that's what I would say to white women. Um, 
to people of the global majority, you're not alone. I hope you found validation in listening to some of my story. I know that's the biggest thing is like I've even had folks of the global majority take my master class and just say, I feel seen. I've never felt so seen. I could not put words to why um, like this industry wasn't totally working for me, but now I have that word and it's decolonized. It needs to be decolonized. And so I just want to say, I see you, I feel you, I love you. I hope that this inspires you to go on your own healing journey and allow yourself to heal the things that often get glossed over or completely ignored in, um, in most programs. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for being here. Um, for everybody who listened to this episode, who resonates, connects, and feels uh, a spark within this dialogue, I invite you to check out Emily. We'll put your links in the show notes of today's episode, along with the link to the past masterclass and then any updates for March in the uh, relaunch of this beautiful conversation and program, The Roundtable. And yeah, I look forward to being on your show as well. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And thank you so much for being mm-hmm. here. This was really beautiful. And I'm, I'm truly honored to have had this conversation. Mm, my pleasure. Thank you. For all of my students listening to the show who struggle with some case of chronic condition of the body, I am so excited to announce that my new program, Chronic Freedom, is officially open for enrollment. Chronic Freedom is a 21-part audio series designed for any woman who is on a path to healing a chronic illness. To be able to finally get to the other side of my own personal healing journey took a lot of effort, a lot of study, and personally was a wild goose chase to try and get the answers of what was going on. My symptoms and my condition, it felt so hard sometimes to be understood. I felt so lost on the step-by-step path to creating the outcome I wanted, which was health. And now that I'm here, symptom-free, I wanted to share the step-by-step processes with all of you so that no matter what type of chronic condition you have, you can heal. In this audio series, I cover every single thing I wish I knew before I went down this path of healing my chronic illness. We talk about every element of healing from how to detox the body to wellness practices for your gut to the process of the three energetic planes, which I'm going to tell you right now is the biggest game changer of healing chronic illness. We talk about how to deal with brain fog and fatigue and how to relieve the symptoms that maybe you haven't gotten the answers for in the Western medical world. This step-by-step audio series is literally so much. It's literally everything that I wish I knew and it is so dear to my heart. It is so detailed. It is so digestible and so affordable all at once. If you or somebody you know has a chronic health condition and hasn't been able to heal themselves or get the outcomes that they want, I invite you to go explore the website laurenoflove.com freedom. You get instant access the moment you join. You can browse the episodes by topic or you can go in order. And I just know that this program is going to be so life-changing for the chronic illness healers out there. So again, that's laurenoflove.com freedom. I hope you go check it out and I look forward to hearing your journey of transformation.